Hi, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we open God's Word to learn about Him and to learn how to glorify and honor Him. This is the fourth lesson in the exciting series that Brother Max Dawson, an elder and evangelist in the church in Beaumont, Texas, presented to us about the Holy Spirit. There have been lots of questions in our community as we listen to this series on the Holy Spirit about speaking in tongues. What does the Bible say about that? Is the Spirit still using that today in 2006? Should we as a congregation be involved in seeking and using the miraculous gifts of the Spirit like speaking in tongues? All these questions are answered within this lesson. So let me invite you to open your Bible and follow along as we ask the question, what about speaking in tongues? We're engaged right now in a very serious study of the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about miraculous gifts from the Holy Spirit and how that these enabled the early Christians to do great and mighty works. And these spiritual gifts were given to reveal and confirm God's truths. And during the time of spiritual gifts, the New Testament, in a written form like we have today, well, that did not yet exist. And because of this, disciples needed these gifts in order to teach the gospel, teach the gospel to the lost, and also to teach the gospel in their local congregations. And additionally, miracles of confirmation, signs, were, were needed to convince hearers that the disciples were spokesmen for God. And one of those signs of confirmation that was given by the Spirit was that of tongues. Tongues was a sign to the unbeliever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22, the Bible uses that very language. It says, tongues are a sign to the unbeliever. And so tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be discussing tongues. Our subject tonight is what about speaking in tongues? And the question really for us today is this. Is the Holy Spirit giving these tongues and other miraculous spiritual gifts in our day and in our time? And if indeed the Holy Spirit is giving those things, we ought to want them and to have them and to use them. On the other hand, if the Holy Spirit is not giving those things, then all the claims that men may make about having those gifts are faulty claims. We've got to begin tonight by defining our terms, and let's talk about what speaking in tongues was. Let me just begin by saying that they were actual languages, real languages that men could understand. And we're going to let the Bible define that for us in Acts chapter 2. If you go ahead and turn to that place in your Bible in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, this is on the day of Pentecost. The apostles, the twelve apostles have gathered together and the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them. And verse 4 says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The word tongues there simply means languages. This describes how the apostles spoke with tongues in this chapter. This is the first time in the Bible, the first occasion in the Bible, that you'll find tongues actually being activated or in operation. Prior to this time, you find tongues mentioned in Mark 16, where Jesus said that this would be one of the signs that would confirm the gospel to the unbelievers. Now, on this occasion, there were Jews who were gathered out of every nation under heaven. And the Bible says that every man heard them speak in his own language. Notice verses 5 and 6. It says that were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, the next several verses talks about 15 or 16 different languages that were there. It speaks of the people of, of Media and Mesopotamia and Pontus and Asia and so on. All of these different languages were spoken by the apostles on, these, on this day. 
Now, I want it to be very clear that the Bible does not teach that these apostles stood up and jabbered, made, made noises with disconnected syllables coming from their mouths. No, they spoke languages. And if you note very carefully at the end of verse 6, it said, everyone heard them speak in his own language. This was a language that had not been learned by the speaker. These who spoke on this occasion were all Galileans. And these men, they would not naturally know all of these languages, and certainly they did not. But God gave them the ability to speak these languages miraculously. That's why we call these things miracles. This indeed was a miracle. The miracle then, speaking in tongues, was the miracle of speaking a language that one had never learned. And thus it was an unknown tongue to those who had never learned that language. The language, however, was understood by those who had learned that language, those who had been brought up in that tongue. Now, sometimes the question is raised, where did the miracle happen? Did it happen at the mouth of the apostles? Did they actually speak languages? Or did the, or did the miracle happen at the ear of the hearer? I've heard some people suggest that, that what the apostles did, they stood up and they either made just some kind of noises... And when they made these noises, well, then all the various people thought they were hearing their own language. But that's not what happened, ladies and gentlemen. Look very carefully at the end of verse 6 one more time. It says, everyone heard them speak in his own language. They heard these people, they heard the apostles speaking the language of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites. They heard them speak that language. God gave to these apostles this miraculous power. Now, when you hear today men talking about how they had speaking in tongues in their church, typically it's unintelligible sounds that some people today are calling speaking in tongues. It's not like that in the Bible. In the Bible, it's actual languages. But we've already noted that tongues were a sign to the unbeliever, and we want to pay more attention to that point at this time. I want you to turn in your Bible now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians 14:22. There it says, Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. The gift that was used in Acts chapter 2, the gift of tongues that the apostles exercised in Acts chapter 2, was given to convince the unbelievers that these men who were speaking were God's spokesmen. Look again back at Acts chapter 2. And you might want to keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to go back and forth between these two chapters. But if you would look very carefully at Acts chapter 2 and verse 12, it says here that the crowd gathered and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, whatever could this mean? That's Acts 2 verse 12. They want to know what does this mean? Because they, they want to know how these men can speak all these foreign languages. They clearly understand that these men are all men of Galilee. In fact, they, that's what they even said to one another. These are all men of Galilee. How then can we hear all these men speak these foreign languages? Notice verse 7. They were all amazed. They marveled and they said to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Verse 8. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And so they're amazed by this. These unbelievers, they're unbelievers as far as the Lord Jesus is concerned. Drop down to verse 33. Down to verse 33, the apostles now are giving their testimony concerning the Christ. And they said, therefore, Peter said, therefore, being exalted, talking about Jesus, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He poured out this which you now see and hear. That is, Jesus is the one who is responsible for what you're seeing and hearing on this day, even the speaking in tongues. He has empowered us to speak these foreign languages. I think it's also important here that we take note of the fact that the tongues were not used on Pentecost because there was a communication problem. You see, a lot of times people say, well, you know, you had these people from these 15 or 16 different from these different nations and the apostles didn't know how to speak to them and so God gave them the gift of tongues and they were able to speak to them and preach the gospel to them. But there's no indication that that's what happened. The tongues here were a sign to these unbelievers to confirm that the apostles were God's spokesmen. There wasn't a communication problem among Jewish people. Typically, the Jewish people spoke Aramaic. Typically, the whole world at this point in time was speaking the Greek language. There wasn't a communication problem. No, the tongues were not given to communicate the gospel. The tongues were given as a sign to these unbelieving Jews on this occasion. Now, it's true that tongues could be used, of course, to teach the gospel to someone who didn't understand Greek or didn't understand the language of the apostles, but this doesn't seem to be its primary use. We noted earlier in the week, Mark chapter 16, remember, uh, we saw over there what Jesus said about tongues being a sign. I'm looking at Mark 16 and verse 17 and also in verse 20. Mark 16 and verse 17, as the Lord has sent these men out, He said, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. Now, they're going out to preach the gospel. Verse 20, though, look at what it says about how these these gifts were used. It says they went out and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The, the, the signs, the miracles, the wonders, whether it was tongues, whether it was the gift of healing, or whether it was, as it says here in verse 18, they could take up deadly serpents, or if they drink anything deadly, it would no, by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These gifts were given to confirm the gospel message. That's why we emphasize that indeed they were assigned to the unbeliever. Now, there were many other spiritual gifts, and one of those gifts was the gift of prophecy. And tongues, according to 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, was a less desirable gift than that of prophecy. I'm turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 again, and this time in verse 5. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. When a man had the gift of prophecy and he could speak forth the will of God, the church was edified. But when a man spoke in tongues in an assembly where no one understood what he was saying, well, who was edified by that? Certainly the hearers were not edified. Paul says the speaker might be, but the hearers would not be edified unless there is an interpreter present. And I understand this then that you've got the gift of prophecy, which communicated God's will directly to people, and that the gift of tongues, with the gift of interpretation of tongues, being able to translate into the language that was spoken in that assembly, that would pretty much be equal to the gift of prophecy. Then, and only then, would it edify. In an assembly, though, where the language spoken was unknown, using using the, the gift of tongues in that assembly was pointless. It would be like if I stood up here tonight and I knew the... Uh, the Sangha language, a language that's spoken in, in Africa. If I stood up and spoke in the Sangha language, what benefit would it be to you? It wouldn't be of any benefit at all. And so, think in terms, here's a, a church at Corinth, a Greek-speaking assembly, and someone stands up and speaks in a foreign language, the language maybe of the Ethiopians. How would that benefit them? It would not benefit them at all. 
unless there was an interpreter present who could interpret into the language of the people. Notice in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 and 19. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 and 19, here the apostle again is speaking of the gift of tongues, and he says something strange. He says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's better to speak five words that people can understand than to speak 10,000 words in a language that people don't understand. And I, I, I glean from this that the apostle is telling us that tongues was basically not an assembly gift. Paul said, I speak with tongues more than any of you, yet in the church I'd rather speak five words that are clearly understood. I understand that Paul was using the gift of tongues outside the assembly, and he was using that as a sign to confirm the gospel message to those who were unbelievers. Paul used tongues outside the assembly. Tongues were very limited in their use with respect to the assembly. And what would happen in an assembly? If, if here you are in a Greek-speaking assembly like the church at Corinth was, and, and someone comes in speaking the Ethiopian language or speaking the Coptic tongue from Egypt, and a, an unbeliever comes in, a person who only knows Greek, and they see this, they think, well, you must be crazy. Why would you be speaking like this in an assembly where no one can understand you? Unless, of course, there was an interpreter present. But notice in verse chapter 14, verse 22, down to verse 24, that's the, the point that Paul is making. He says that tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, then he is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all. And so... Paul said that the tongues are basically not an assembly gift. They could be used in the assembly, but only when an interpreter is present. Well, now that brings up a problem. Someone today says, well, you know, when, when the gift of tongues comes upon me, and the Holy Spirit comes upon me, I cannot help but to speak. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand that according to the Bible, tongues could be controlled by the speaker. The man who had the gift could choose either to use the gift or not to use the gift at any given time. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. In verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. That is, in any given assembly, no more than two or three persons to speak in a tongue and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Again, in any given assembly, no more than two or at the most three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you, may, you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now that last sentence is significant. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. A man can choose either to use the gift of prophecy or not to. If God has given that, him that gift, someone says, you mean he can just turn it on and off? That's what the scripture says. It is subject to his will. The Holy Spirit has given him this ability, and now whether he uses it in a given situation or not, 
He makes a choice about that. The same thing is true with respect to tongues. If it were not true, then Paul could never say what he says here when he says, if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. That is, he turns the gift off, so to speak. He chooses not to use it. That's why we say that the tongues indeed could be controlled by the speaker. And that's a significant point. All things then. In this context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we just read verse 26. All things must be done unto edification. Look down to verse 40. At the very close of the chapter, he says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And he has given them these instructions so that edification could take place. Because when tongues were abused in the assembly like they were in Corinth, when they were uncontrolled, then there was no edification that would take place. Well, I want to move to my second point. I think we've identified something about what tongues was and how they were used in the assembly. But my second major point is this, that tongues was one of many spiritual gifts. In fact, all, all of the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, were miraculous. Let me read that text very quickly. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. Here it says, To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith, that's miraculous faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. There are some nine spiritual gifts are mentioned in those three verses. All of those are miraculous. I think it's important that we have a very brief discussion of miracles. I think that's necessary in order that we understand something about spiritual gifts. Because a lot of times, people just don't have it clear in their mind what a miracle is. Vine's Expository Dictionary defines miracle as power, inherent ability. He says it is used of works of supernatural origin and character, such as could not be produced by natural agents or natural means. If a thing could be done by natural means, then it wouldn't be a miracle. That's why you've got these men, these apostles on the day of Pentecost, who speak in a miraculous way, who speak a language they've never learned. You don't take a man who has spoken Greek or Aramaic all of his life, and suddenly he can speak ten different languages. That doesn't happen by natural means. No, it requires a miracle. You don't take a man who has never walked a day in his life, who's above 40 years of age, he's, he's laid there, everyone recognizes that his, his limbs are shriveled. You don't take that man and say, well, get up and walk, and he just naturally gets up and walks. Listen, if he could naturally get up and walk, he wouldn't have been a lame man, would he? We're talking now about supernatural, something which is beyond the ordinary. Not just beyond the ordinary, but supernatural events, beyond the natural order of things. And if a thing could be produced by natural means, well, it wouldn't be a miracle. And let me say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that not everything that men call miracles are miracles. Even the, the man on the CBS Evening News, or now I think it's going to be a woman pretty soon, even the person on the CBS Evening News often uses the word miracle. Here was a plane crash, 112 people killed and two survived miraculously. They call it a miracle. Or here's a 15-year-old girl, freshman math, and says, it's a miracle, I passed that test. We use the word miracle all the time in so many different ways. And ladies and gentlemen, what is the effect of that? 
when we use the word miracle so loosely, it tends to cheapen Bible miracles. Someone says, you know, I was out of work for six months. I was just about to lose my house. And someone came along and offered me a great job. It was a miracle. And see, people use the word miracle all the time on things that are not supernatural at all. You know that an event may even originate with God and still not be a miracle? A miracle must supersede nature's laws. Let me give an example. In Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul had been arrested, of course, in Jerusalem, taken to Caesarea where he was kept for a time, and now he's going by ship to Rome. And on the way, he is shipwrecked. And there's a large number of men, in excess of 250 men, I believe, on that ship. And I want you to hear what the Bible says in Acts chapter 27. And I want you to understand that God is acting here. The, the storm is terrible. The, the ship is going to crash. The ship and all of its lading, everything in it will be lost with the exception of the lives. It says in Acts 27, beginning at verse 21, After long abstinence from food, then Paul said in the midst of them, stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. But now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must indeed be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. And here it says that God is going to save every life on board that ship. And I'm not sure of the exact number, but I think it was in excess of 250, 250 men who were on board that ship. Every life was saved. But there's no miracle here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I recognize that an angel of the Lord spoke to Paul and revealed this to him. But in the saving of the lives of these men on board this ship, there was no miracle. Deliverance, however, came by God. And I want to make just one brief comment with respect to that. A lot of times we think, oh, if God doesn't work a miracle, God can't do anything at all. In fact, there are some people, some of my brethren, who say, well, I don't think it does any good to pray when someone is sick. In fact, I'm not sure it does any good to pray for anything because God doesn't give us miraculous powers today. And since we don't have miracles, God's not working the miracles. Therefore, God is not working. People who have that view of God... And listen, there are a lot of religious people who have that view of God. They have a very limited view of God. They think that, that the only way God can work is through a miracle. You need to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that the God who we, whom we serve is the God who controls the universe. And He's not limited to miracles. He can do whatsoever He wills. But understand that a miracle supersedes and is above nature's laws. By contrast, here was Paul delivered from a storm. Life was saved with all the men on board. By contrast, in Acts chapter 12, you see the Apostle Peter being delivered from prison. And here, an angel of the Lord goes in and opens the prison doors and causes the shackles to fall off and leads him out of the prison. Miraculous deliverance in that case. What I want you to understand is that the gifts given by the Spirit were all supernatural in origin and character. They were miraculous abilities given by, given by God to men in order to carry out the will of God. The gifts were not merely the response of God to prayer. Oh, so many times on, on controversies that we had on the radio program uh, back in Beaumont, uh, someone would call in and say, well, I, I heard you don't believe God heals. 
I believe God heals. I go to the hospital almost every day and pray for people. And it's very often the case, typically the case, that they recover. And thus I give the credit to God that God heals. And what they're really talking about, see, they say, well, but I've got the gift of healing. Well, tell me what you do that's different than that. Well, I pray for people and they get better. Well, that's the same thing I'm doing, so don't tell me you've got something different. And you see, a lot of people confuse this. They, they think the gift of healing is that you pray to God and God somehow responds. It may take him six weeks or maybe six months, but God will respond. That's not the gift of healing. gift of healing was a miraculous power like Jesus demonstrated when the servant of the high priest's ear was cut off. Jesus picks it up and puts it back on. Fixed. Done. Just like that. People who were blind from birth, people who had never walked from birth, instantaneously healed. That's what we're talking about in the gift of healing. We're talking about miraculous power from God. And I want you to understand that men in the first century actually had... Men actually had miraculous power from God. Men could work miracles by the power of God. You see, a lot of folks don't believe that. A lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics don't believe that. They believe what's happening is that you pray to God and God will answer prayer. Look in your Bible in Acts 8, just very quickly. In Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 and verse 6, I want you to see that Philip worked miracles. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. That's what it says in, in verse 5. Verse 6, Acts chapter 8, verse 6, The multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. The Bible says Philip worked miracles. Now, he didn't do it by his own power, but Philip did work miracles. And if a man on earth today had the same power, we could say the same about him. He works miracles. By the power of God, but he works miracles, because that's what the Bible says about this man. Now, we studied some yesterday, how the miraculous gifts were needed to reveal and confirm the Word of God. And so we're not going to cover that point any further uh, this evening. But let me say this, that miraculous gifts were imparted by the laying on of apostles' hands. We saw yesterday in our study on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that these special powers were given to the apostles. But these gifts were also transmitted by the laying on of apostles' hands. If you note it again, since we're in Acts 8, let's note here that Peter and John were sent from Jerusalem to Samaria that these people might receive the Holy Spirit. I'm looking at Acts 8, beginning at verse 14. Philip, remember, went to Samaria, preached Christ to them, and a number of people were baptized. Verse 14 says, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Notice, Simon could see something as a result of the laying on of apostles' hands. He could see that in this means the Holy Spirit was given. And I think it's talking about the spiritual gifts that were given by the laying on of apostles' hands. Now, I've got a question here. Why, since Philip was already there, why didn't Philip lay hands on them and impart to them these miraculous gifts of the Spirit? Well, it's because Philip was not an apostle. You see, verse 18 says that it was through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given. And you'll find that pattern throughout the book of Acts. In fact, the first time in the book of Acts that you'll see anyone, and I say this without fear of successful contradiction, the first time in the book of Acts that you'll see anyone working miracles beside the apostles 
is Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, where you've got seven men who are ordained to, to be special servants in the church of Jerusalem. I think they were deacons. The apostles, according to Acts chapter 6, look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Acts chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8. They set these seven men before the apostles, and when the apostles had prayed, the apostles laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, here it is, first time since Acts 2, you've got only apostles, Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, only apostles working miracles. First time someone besides an apostle working a miracle, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And when was that? Shortly after the apostles had laid hands on him. Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul laid hands on those at Ephesus and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul said, I want to come to Rome so that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. And so you see the point. Imparting of the gifts by the laying on of apostles' hands was how these things were transmitted. This is not to be confused with Holy Spirit baptism. Remember what we saw about Holy Spirit baptism, John 1.33? That's something Jesus administers. But this, the, the transmission of the gifts in this way, is something administered by the apostles. We also studied yesterday that the miraculous gifts were supposed to cease. We read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, and we showed that when that which is perfect has come, which we demonstrated was revelation, God making His will known, when it was completely known that the spiritual gifts would be done away. Miraculous gifts were supposed to cease, and indeed, they did cease. But someone says, Max, I, I can understand all of those things. That all makes sense. But how do we explain the claims of those who profess to speak in tongues today? Well, let me say two things about that. First of all, with many people, it is merely an emotional experience. And maybe I shouldn't say merely an emotional experience, because in their minds, it's a very dramatic and even traumatic experience. It is often necessary for those who speak in tongues to be whipped up into an emotional frenzy in order to produce their phenomena. You see, many people are told that they need a sign from God, that God will accept them. And until they have received this sign, you see, they, they, they're a believer. They, they believe that, that, that they had to believe on Jesus in order to be saved. And now they come down to an altar and they're praying that they'll get the gift of tongues. And there's ten people holding on to them and, and shaking them and moving them around and say, you've got to believe harder and harder. Finally, finally, God will send you the gift of tongues. And then you know that God has accepted you. Don't say that doesn't happen. I've seen that happen in assemblies. They think they need a sign that God has accepted them, and they've been taught that tongues is such a sign. And if they have tongues, it means that they're close to God and that they're spiritual people. However, they do not speak actual languages by the Spirit of God. It is a highly emotional and traumatic experience for many of them. Secondly, for some, it is a learned experience. You see, most of us, because of our religious heritage and what we do in our assemblies, we don't know how tongues are supposed to sound. But if we've been exposed to them, if we were raised up in an assembly where we hear this kind of, this kind of, uh, of, of utterance, and I hate to use the word jabbering and gibberish, but that's what it is. But if we've been exposed to that, raised up in that, and we know what it sounds like, it would be easy, consciously or unconsciously, to reproduce those sounds. 
In fact, some people are actually taught how to speak in tongues. There are some churches that will have a special session teaching people how to do it. And they will repeat tongue-twisting phrases. And they're supposed to repeat them faster and faster and faster. Give God your tongue. And sooner or later, they just begin to make clapping noises, clicking noises with their mouth, jabbering all sorts of, all sorts of noises coming out of them. I have even been in assemblies, ladies and gentlemen, where people have barked like dogs. And I don't say that with any twinge of humor at all. Where people have made noises like a barking dog. It is worthy to note that this non-miraculous phenomenon is found among many religions, including the Hindus and the Muslims. You see, what we, what we, what we find out by actual investigation, we talk about the, the tongues that people claim today, we find that it's often a highly emotional experience or that it's a learned experience, but in both cases like this, it's not a miraculous experience. Because the, the apostles never had to whip themselves into a frenzy. They never had to repeat the tongue-twisting phrases. They were simply given power from God, and they were able then to speak a language, an actual language, that others could understand. Ladies and gentlemen, there are some very serious problems for those who claim to speak in tongues today. And let me just quickly enumerate those problems, and then we'll give the Lord's invitation. One... They do not speak a known human language. In the Bible, they spoke known human languages. Acts chapter 2, verse 6, we hear these men speak in our languages, the languages in which we were born. They spoke known human languages. It's not that way today. Secondly, their tongues are not assigned to unbelievers. When they go and preach among unbelievers, like I went to Africa, to Zimbabwe last year, and in some places where I went to preach, I had to use an interpreter. When they go there, they have to use an interpreter also. Because the tongue speakers don't have the ability to speak any of the, the six Zimbabwe, Zimbabwean dialects. They don't have that ability any more than I do. What they have is an emotional experience in their own assembly where tongues become a sign for believers that God has accepted you. Just exactly the opposite of what you find in the Bible. Another problem for those who claim tongues today is that it's typically the case that several speak at once in the assembly. And I've been in assemblies where as many as 100, maybe 200, will all speak in tongues at the same time. The very thing the Bible says do not do, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27, these are professing to do. And then, they typically speak without an interpreter. 1 Corinthians 14 said in the assembly, if you don't have an interpreter present, then you keep silent. Do not use the gift of tongues. And as a result of not having the interpreter and so many speaking all at the same time, their assemblies are often disorderly. And not just disorderly with respect to speaking in tongues, but disorderly in a very broad sense. And there are many things that I can describe to you that I've seen in various assemblies, but I will not burden you with that tonight. Let me conclude by making just two or three concluding statements. First of all, the gift of tongues in the New Testament is to be understood as the miraculous ability to speak a foreign language that could be understood by those who learn that language. As an example, if there, were, if there were someone here tonight who spoke Russian, another who spoke French, and another who spoke German, and I had the gift of tongues, I could, I could speak God's Word to each of those persons if I had the gift of tongues. No one today can do that. Yet that's what the apostles did on the day of Pentecost. These were actual foreign languages. The gift of tongues was received in two ways, by either the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as it was in Acts 2 and Acts 10, or by the laying on of the apostles' hands. 
And neither of those is available today. And, he, and in both cases, it was given to reveal, either to reveal or to confirm a message from God. Finally, we would say this, that modern tongue speaking is not biblical tongue speaking at all. But it is a phenomenon that is common to many religions that do not profess Jesus as the Christ. The present practice of tongue speaking, whether it's in Beaumont, Texas, whether it's in Franklin, Tennessee, or wherever it may be, has no biblical basis. In fact, as we have seen tonight, many people who profess to speak in tongues violate plain passages of the Word of God when they do it. We look at people who are in religious error and we say, isn't that a shame? But let me say to you tonight that if your heart is not right with God, you can be just as lost you know, you may say, oh, I don't believe people speak in tongues today. And Max, I agree with every word you've given in this lesson tonight. But if you haven't obeyed Jesus Christ, you're just as lost as the lost person, the lostest person out there, so to speak. The person who's the blindest, the person who's in the deepest darkness with, with respect to understanding the Word of God, you're just that lost if you haven't obeyed Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song that our brother has chosen to encourage anyone who might be here tonight who needs to make his heart right with God. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that's what the miracles were really all about in the beginning. On the day of Pentecost, it was to convince those people on the day of Pentecost that Jesus was both Lord and Christ. And when they came to the end of the sermon, the people cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. If you believe the gospel, have you done that? Don't say you know the truth on tongues, but haven't obeyed what God said. There's one who needs to obey the Lord tonight. We're inviting you to come right now as we stand and as we sing. Come, please. I hope this lesson has helped you and your understanding as you study about speaking in tongues and what place it should have in the local congregation today. If you have any questions about the miraculous gifts, about speaking in tongues, or about the Holy Spirit, or perhaps you have questions about the Franklin Church of Christ, if so, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone has given you this lesson on CD or on audio tape. If that's the case, please go to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download, both in outline and in audio format. Use them in whatever way you believe will honor and glorify God and draw people closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.